0: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to say a few words about Michael Wilson and why Ernst Young is pleased to sponsor today's luncheon. We're a firm that believes in sharing ideas and creating a forum for the open discussion of important issues. As professional advisors to some of the world's largest companies, we place close attention to current events and how they impact our clients and our communities. We're always ready to share our perspectives on the important issues of the day. Tomorrow, the world will witness the historic inauguration of Barack Obama as the 44th President of the United States. This event represents a major turning point, not only in American history, but also in the future of the unique bilateral relationship between Canada and the United States. And Canadians are once again reminded of the unique and special bond our two countries share. The new President will face some of the most difficult challenges confronting a leader in generations, the global financial crisis weighty political issues at home and abroad, wars overseas, and the effects of climate change. Ambassador Wilson joins us today to talk about some of the challenges facing the new president and how Canada and the U.S. can work together to tackle them in the coming years. On a personal note, I've always owed Mr. Wilson a great debt of gratitude, albeit that he may not know this. While in various ministerial roles through his career in the federal government, he was instrumental in the creation of the Canada-U.S. Free Trade Agreement and the introduction of the GST. For most of my career, I worked in the commodity tax area, and these major legislative changes really helped my career take off (laughs) and are really responsible for me being where I am today. (laughs) And one final note, in the 1990s, Ambassador Wilson provided consulting services in a co-venture with my firm Ernst & Young. This coupled with his boost to my career, why I've always been a great fan of Michael Wilson. So thank you very much, and it's our pleasure to be sponsoring today's luncheon.
1: Thank you, Irene, and thank you again to Ernst & Young for your support. And now I will introduce today's special guest. It's a pleasure to welcome the Honorable Michael Wilson back to our podium. It's been almost exactly a year, and quite an event-filled year, too, since Ambassador Wilson's last visit. We were just chatting before, and we think he may have addressed the Canadian Club as many as ten times in the course of his career, but we'll check on that. Tomorrow, President-elect Barack Obama officially becomes President Obama and his candidacy and his victory have been closely watched and enthusiastically applauded by Canadians as by the rest of the world. President Obama's new administration, as Irene noted, and as everyone has noted, will face unprecedented challenges. And we all know that we have a special relationship in Canada with the U.S., and we share some of those challenges. As North American neighbors, Canada and the U.S. have a shared destiny – linked, as John F. Kennedy once said, by geography, history, economics, and necessity. Today, when uh, we know that uh, the President will be uh, visiting Canada in the next little while, today we are in a unique position to be welcoming somebody who has insights that many of us do not have into what might be the subject of the agenda when the uh, Prime Minister of Canada and the President of the United States do meet. Michael Wilson has participated in Canada Ameri- Canadian-American bilateral relations in a number of sub- significant roles over the years. As Federal Minister of Finance from 1984 until 1991, the minister- he was Minister of Industry, Science and Technology, and then he was Minister of International Trade. In all those roles, he represented Canada at the IMF, the OECD, GATT, and the G7 Minister's Meetings. He was also a primary negotiator of the North American Free Trade Agreement. Prior to assuming his responsibilities as Canada's 22nd representative to the U.S. in March 2006, Ambassador Wilson served as chair, uh, Chairman of UBS Canada and Vice Chairman of RBC Securities. He knows finance, he knows politics, and he knows world affairs. And as well as being a great businessman and statesman, Ambassador Wilson is also active in a number of important community organizations and causes including the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, the Canadian Council for Public-Private Partnerships, and the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance. I am also uh, told that he is a former director of the Canadian Club, and his father, Harry Wilson, is a former president of the Canadian Club. How's that for a commitment to public service and (laughs) volunteerism? So please join me in welcoming the uh, ambassador to the U.S., Michael Wilson.
2: Thank you. Well, thank you, Helen, for those uh, very kind words of introduction, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be back at the Canadian Club, to see a number of uh, familiar faces, but also to be in the very familiar surroundings uh, of the Canadian Club itself. Now we're going to have some very exhilarating happenings tomorrow in Washington, and that's the principal purpose of my remarks today. People in Washington are excited. As someone said to me just going in, I hear people are even giddy in Washington. I'm not sure that Washingtonians get giddy. Maybe they did, Alan, when you were around, but uh, <laughs> uh, not um, not not so much recently. But. Barack Obama will be sworn in tomorrow as the 44th President of the United States, and this is a remarkable achievement. He's the first African-American President. He's a first-term senator. He was practically an unknown politician prior to his speech at the 2004 Democratic Convention. He entered the race as a long shot behind Hillary Clinton and ran a very disciplined and professional campaign leading to a decisive victory in November. He now represents the hopes and aspirations of many Americans and others from countries around the world. The United States has never seen anything like this before. His election and smooth transition into office, I should say, assisted by President Bush and Senator McCain, is sending strong, positive messages around the world. His speeches and style have generated a return of idealism to politics, particularly with the younger generation, something that probably hasn't been seen since President Kennedy. As he has said, and I'm quoting, loving your country is more than enjoying the Fourth of July fireworks. Loving your country must mean accepting your responsibility to do your part to change it. And Mr. Obama did campaign on a promise of change. This resonated well throughout the country. But what did it mean? Some skeptics have questioned whether it was more of an election slogan, but without much substance. But let me help put some meaning into that word. The president-elect instead of the current financial turmoil, this painful crisis provides us with an opportunity to transform, transform our economy, to improve the lives of ordinary people. The president-elect has said that he wants to hit the ground running. Significant governance stimulus is widely accepted by economists. Stimulus building a momentum that is breaking down many traditional ideological barriers to change. This has been particularly apparent in the banking and automobile relief packages, even under the Bush administration. As the president-elect said in November, in setting out his thoughts on a stimulus plan, and I'm quoting again here, these aren't just steps to pull ourselves out of this immediate crisis. These are long-term investments in our economic future that have been ignored for far too long. Clearly, the economic crisis is aligning with the Obama agenda to produce an opportunity which he intends to capture. So observers expect that an Obama administration will combine this broad-based desire for action with unprecedented financial support from Congress to kick a number of campaign promises under the rubric of a broad stimulus plan. As a result, one conservative commentator said recently, President Obama now has more latitude when it comes to the role of government in the economy. So change is in the wind, and I expect that it will prove more than just a political catchword. Tomorrow's swearing in is an inauguration of historic significance. Despite the economic situation, Americans are hopeful about the new administration and supportive of the incoming president. I believe that Canadians are similarly hopeful. We want the Obama presidency to succeed. We should be encouraged by the course of his transition during the past 11 weeks. The president-elect has regularly signaled an open, collaborative, and pragmatic approach it is commonly expected in Washington that as president he will listen to the United States friends and allies. This should come as no surprise. The personal background he brings to the presidency is unlike any of his 43 predecessors. The expectations of the new administration are enormous and so are the challenges. The United States is fighting two wars simultaneously The international agenda is already the most daunting and complex since the end of the Second World War, and we're facing a global recession. With that and the pressures for action on health care, climate change, and education reform, the new president faces a very full in-basket. To deal with this, the president-elect has moved quickly to build what most observers regard as a strong, moderate, experienced, and pragmatic cabinet. This is clearly the case with the economic team. Tim Geithner, Larry Summers, Paul Volker, and Christina Romer. In the president's uh, elects words, our core economic theory is pragmatism. I think that's the third time I've used that word, but it's something that comes up regularly in the discussions around Washington. We can also expect continuity in the administration's response to the credit crunch, particularly through the presence of Tim Geithner and Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke. Now, true to his commitment to bipartisanship, Mr. Obama has nominated Robert Gates to continue as Secretary of Defense and announced that former Marine General Jim Jones will be the National Security Advisor. These two men, together with Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State and Governor Janet Napolitano on Homeland Security, present a solid, experienced, and centrist approach to foreign and national security policy. And the President's choice of the Nobel Prize-winning physicist, Stephen Chu, for Secretary of Energy, demonstrates his administration's commitment to science as a guide to policy. The energy and environment teams will bring focus and leadership to climate change. We should expect policies designed to move the country noticeably away from a carbon-based economy policies reinforced by a strong commitment to technological change and greater reliance on any, on alternative energy sources. This signals a clear shift in direction from the outgoing admi- administration. Now, under the Obama leadership, I foresee a highly disciplined and measured approach to gov- government, something that, that has been a hallmark Of the Obama campaign and transition. The incoming administration, of course, is only a co-equal branch of U.S. government. Policymaking and legislating are often messy processes in Washington. That won't necessarily change simply because the Democrats control both branches of Congress and the White House. What seems clear is that Congress is looking to the Obama administration for leadership. And having campaigned on a commitment to reach across the aisle, the incoming administration is sending lots of signals that it intends to pursue bipartisan support for its initiatives. At the embassy, we've been engaging members of the Obama transition team. We'll start working closely with the members of the cabinet and the White House, as well as with other significant officers below Cabinet level. And just as we have in the past, we'll also be making our case directly with members of Congress. Our challenge at the Embassy will be to assess a direction team, the direction of the Obama team very quickly and engage with their Cabinet members and other major players. Now, you may know that the Canadian Embassy in Washington is right on Pennsylvania Avenue where the inaugural parade takes place with terrific views of the Capitol, where Mr. Obama will be sworn in. We're taking advantage of this. We've invited people likely to be influential with an Obama administration and other Friends of Canada to a reception at the Embassy overlooking the parade route. Now we're also having a tailgate party inviting about a thousand people to the courtyard at the embassy and there will be a lot of fun head by all during the course of the next uh, 24 hours. Now a Washington newspaper has previewed the embassy reception as the warmest place in town with the best view. (laughs) So we also anticipate a successful visit to Canada by the new president in the coming weeks. As well, Canadian ministers and senior officials will be traveling south to Washington as soon as the administration's team is confirmed to begin discussions with their counterparts as part of our government's engagement strategy. These personal relationships matter a lot in Washington at all levels, especially with new administration officials and staff. And I believe Canada is well positioned and well-connected for the momentous months ahead. Now let me turn to Mr. Obama's domestic priorities in the order in which he ranks them. Certainly, stabilizing the U.S. economy is at the top of the list. The U.S. economy peaked in late 2007 and has been in recession ever since, shedding over two and a half million jobs. Every sector of the economy, with the exception of government, is now contracting. The American response has been unprecedented since the Second World War. An initial fiscal stimulus package of some $160 billion, the $700 billion Troubled Asset Relief Program, and the latest stimulus plan announced last week by leaders in Congress and the incoming administration projected to be in excess of some $850 billion. The policy response in Canada, by contrast, has not had to be nearly so drastic. While the pace of economic growth slowed in 2008, our economy continued to expand throughout the, through the end of the third quarter of last year, which is the latest period for which uh, data is available. This reflects a sound, well-regulated financial system that has earned top marks worldwide, prudent macroeconomic policies, and the commodity price boom in recent years. But with our largest trading partner now in recession and with sharp drops in commodity prices recently, Canadian growth will come under pressure. However, the coming stimulus plan should help revive the U.S. economy. While such an immense fiscal expansion will push the U.S. budget well into a deficit of uh, over a trillion dollars, indeed Mr. Obama has warned of trillion-dollar deficits for years to come, that's a quote. This will pro- provide the U.S. economy with a much-needed boost, and this plan appears to be much more than that. As I indicated earlier, Mr. Obama has strongly hinted in recent speeches that his stimulus plan promises to evolve into a transformative economic policy. It's aimed at using the tax system to transfer income to the middle class, putting the health care system in a more sustainable financial footing and broadening access to it greening the infrastructure and the overall economy with broadly-based tax and spending measures aimed at encouraging energy efficiency and alternative energies, expanding access to college and university education while emphasizing math and science studies at all levels, and finally, assisting states in meeting their obligations in this very difficult economy. Overall, it appears that the incoming administration will nudge the U.S. model closer to the Canadian one. The second priority for Mr. Obama is to help move the U.S. away from oil, and especially foreign oil, to cleaner forms of energy. His choices for his energy and environment team reflect how seriously he takes climate change. This presents a challenge for Canada. We supply an increasing share of U.S. energy, more than any other foreign country. Yet we are increasingly seen as both foreign in an adverse sense and purveyors of dirty oil. This image is fed in part by some negative perceptions of the Canadian oil sands industry. But it also stems from a general underappreciation in the United States of Canada's considerable efforts to reduce carbon emissions and to increase renewable energy production, but also a general underappreciation of just how much our two economies are linked. The real and shared problem for both of our countries is how we move away from our reliance on carbon-based fuels toward clean fuels and energy independence. This raises the possibilities for millions of green jobs in Canada. Canada Canada-U.S. collaboration on carbon capture and sequestration, for example, would position us well to claim our share of those jobs. Now, the third major concern for Mr. Obama is the issue of health care reform. Health care spending represents some 17 percent of U.S. GDP compared to 10% in Canada. Many interests are at stake, and securing overall reform will not be easy. Democratic Party leaders in Congress have already introduced competing plans. And given the magnitude of the issue and the current economic situation, incremental reform may be easier to legislate and could also be a part of that stimulus plan. Now I'd like to make some observations on U.S. foreign policy. The President-elect has clearly signaled a change of direction and a change of style. While he has been careful to keep the military option on the table, he has indicated a greater role for diplomacy, dialogue, and a more multilateral approach to managing conflicts before they reach a crisis point. In his words, he's promised a foreign policy based on principles and pragmatism, not rigid ideology. And as Secretary of Defense Bob Gates acknowledged last summer, the lines separating war, peace, diplomacy and development have become blurred and no longer fit the neat organizational charts of the 20th century. Recently, General Jim Jones, pointedly broadened his definition of national security to include climate change, energy policy, development assistance, and international governance. We should expect the Obama style of openness and dialogue to move this thinking to a more prominent position in U.S. foreign policy. Senator Clinton highlighted this priority of returning diplomacy to the heart of U.S. foreign policy in her confirmation hearings last week. And as Mr. Obama stated in this campaign, his overriding foreign policy priority will be the drawdown of troops in Iraq and making the war in Afghanistan the central front in the war on terrorism. The new administration will have to engage quickly and show leadership in the Middle East peace process in light of the current crisis in Gaza and on the issue of Iran and its desire to obtain nuclear weapons. Another Obama objective is to change and improve the image of the U.S. globally, collaborating closely with American allies and like-minded countries. He will be looking for credible partners and allies to help the U.S. deal with the wide range of challenges that he's facing. There is a recognition that the U.S. does not have the capacity to do it alone. So Canada has an important role to play. Canada's intersecting and complementary networks of international memberships invite shared approaches with the United States. Other Canadian foreign policy priorities, such as our our involvement in Afghanistan, controlling nuclear proliferation, and strengthening multilateral institutions align well with those of the Obama administration. On this continent, Canada remains an essential partner in keeping North America secure. Through unparalleled 24-7 cooperation, with our mutual border, law enforcement, and intelligence agencies. We're partners in the defense of North America. Our defense industries have been integrated since the Second World War. For half a century, we have shared command of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD. Canada has one of the largest combat forces in Afghanistan forces that have suffered a disproportionately high share of Allied casualties. Along with many brave young Americans, we're fighting to make sure that that country no longer provides a haven for terrorists. And with the renewed focus of the administration on Afghanistan, we're confident that we'll make more progress on security, governance, and development as we head to 2011. Canada's commitment to bolster our military forces, properly equip them and contribute meaningfully to operations abroad, including combat missions, is applauded in Washington. This strengthens our standing where it counts. So where do relations with Canada fit within the constellation of issues of the new U.S. administration that they have to deal with? First of all, let me emphasize, Canada and the U.S. enjoy the largest and deepest relationship in the world, one built on enduring goodwill. Over the last three years in Washington, you'd be surprised at how many senior U.S. policymakers tell me how critical and encompassing is their relationship with Canada. And I can say without hesitation that our relations are in terrific shape. As I mentioned earlier, there's great scope to work with the United States and the world. And there's great scope to cooperate on energy, environment, and climate change. And most important of all, we share one of the world's largest and most comprehensive trading relationships, which supports millions of jobs on both sides of the border. We must continue to work together to deepen and strengthen this trading relationship that has been so beneficial for both of our countries. We will impress that view on the new administration and, on, and particularly on Congress, where protectionist measures are more likely to be felt. We must work to make sure that our actions on automobiles, on economic stimulus, and on financial sector reform through the G20 reflect the reality of an integrated North American market. And we must work with the new administration on making sure that the border affords both security and smoothly smoothly moving commerce. We look forward to collaborating with Homeland Security Secretary Napolitano to see how we can manage the border better, improving infrastructure, and using new technology. All of the indications sent by the incoming administration and all of the conversations that I've had with those who will occupy senior positions within it suggest an open and productive relationship between our two countries. As Prime Minister Harper said to the Americans after the presidential election, Canada is your most reliable ally and best friend and partner in the world. This is a tremendous historic occasion for the United States. The Canada-U.S. relationship is unique and it's the envy of the world. Tomorrow will be a landmark day for the United States and President-elect Obama and his family. He is facing major domestic and international challenges. Some would describe them as daunting. But no president, in living memory, has been given such an opportunity to change the direction of his country, both in domestic policy and its relations with the rest of the world. Expectations are high, and an encouragement from most quarters is sincere and profound. And I'm sure that all of us in this room would want to wish President Obama Godspeed and good fortune as he assumes his awesome responsibilities. And I'll take those sentiments with me to Washington tomorrow as I enjoy the excitement and the festivities of this historic inauguration. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, ambassador Wilson. I'll now call on Susan MacArthur, a director of the Canadian Club of Toronto Board, to officially thank the Ambassador.
3: Thank you very much, Ambassador Wilson, and thank you all as well for joining us here today. I'd also like to extend our, extend our appreciation to Ernst & Young, sponsors of today's event. There has been a real sense of excitement and anticipation as the United States and indeed the entire world, waits for an incoming American administration led by Barack Obama. While this new president is expected to bring change, as he has pledged to do, economic challenges will impact his ability to do so. But history shows that in crisis is often opportunity, and when President Obama and Prime Minister Harper sit down together in Ottawa, there will be a very real opportunity presented to them. A new chapter in Canadian-American relations could be written as the two leaders work together for the mutual good. Whether it's on matter of, of the economy, security, or the environment, our two countries need each other. Thank you, Ambassador Wilson, for reminding us of the important bond and friendship between our two great countries and of the tremendous potential that lies in our shared future.
1: Thank you, Susan. Thank you again, Ambassador Wilson, and thank you to all of our guests for joining us today. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV. This meeting is now adjourned.